This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. Get a free trial and 10% off your first purchase. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CFN. 10%, it's so simple. Very simple. CFN. CFN. Three letters. Three letters. If you've listened to this show, you should know what those mean. Indeed. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome. This is a very special episode, episode 200. It's amazing, and we've got a very special guest. We, we do have a very special guest. A very guest. special guest. This is, we, we say that every week, but this is e- extremely special. Flew all the way in from the East Coast, right? Just for this episode. <laughs> no, it's not because it's 40 below on the East Coast, and people are eating each other, and he wanted to come to sunny Southern California. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this j- j- man is my father. Uh, I call him Dad. You can call him William or Bill Elwood, and here or he is. Professor Elwood. Professor Elwood. You should call yes. him Professor Elwood. Here any, in- any of the above. <laughs> yeah, his students at his last college called him Doctor Bill, which I always Doctor Bill. It was was adorable. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was charming. So, um, Dad, uh, you have been a theater professor since since uh, before time. Before time, <laughs> I started teaching someone something in 1957. Okay, wow. and so and with, without without any interruption. Yeah. That's all you, he's, you were born, you were bred in a lab. So that first class, (laughs) so that first class, no one interrupted you. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) That's exactly true. That's exactly true. (laughs) And then you um, were a theater professor at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. That's right. Um, And you were the chairman of the theater department. For uh, for 10 of the 21 years. Mm -hmm. And then you... Went to Emerson. Then I went to Emerson College in Boston. Where you were the dean? I was a graduate, yeah, dean of graduate studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me six years to realize the error of my ways. <laughs> Don't be in administration. It was, it was a, a blunder, a major blunder. But uh, So then I resigned from there and then eventually ended up at Southern Connecticut State University as the theater department chair. So it. was it more that uh, you wanted to be more teaching than administrating? Is that what? Yes. Uh, um, I'm one of those few fortunate individuals who really, uh, though we, we never made tons of money, I really couldn't believe that I was being paid to do this. Mm-hmm. And even though I made a lot more money as an administrator, I didn't care. Right. And so I care about my subject matter and I care about teaching and I care about helping students understand a concept, history, ideas, the theater. You've always talked about when you teach my whole life that you love when you see the light bulb go off. Yes. That yes. is your, that's your charge. That's why that, you do it. That's the aha moment. You bet. Mm-hmm. I had a student who uh, <clears throat> did a project and this was at Southern and, and a undergraduate program. They didn't have particularly uh, outstanding high school educations. And um, 
So one day I was trying to explain something very simple and in theater history, and this, I made the students do a project to demonstrate one aspect of theater history, and this student came to class, and I'll be, I'll be brief because I don't want to be too academic, but in the Restoration Theater, people came to the theater to be seen, and they didn't sit quietly, and they chased women and got into fights. And, but there's some brilliant Sounds pieces. Sounds like stand-up comics. Right. Yeah. It is. It is. They got into, uh, but they had brilliant dramatic literature. And so I said to them, what do you think that means? Because we're all accustomed to the audience coming in, behaving yourself by and large for traditional theater. So she did this project. She did this project. And she read five, six, seven minutes of dialogue mm-hmm. and said to the class, talk among yourselves. So, I'm, so In other words, so I can compete. And that was one of my aha moments. I want to, you know, I don't know that I've ever actually asked you this question. And so, oh, not did the class they were just running around trying to be seen while she performed. <laughs> well, <laughs> they were a little, they were a little, in fact, uh, reluctant because you're supposed to go to class and not do that, right? So then I helped, you know, by mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, Charlie, how you doing?" Or, "Woo, look at those." Mm-hmm. <laughs> look at the ass on that woman over there. <laughs> that kind of thing, which. And it was the same in Shakespeare's theater, by the way, as well. Most brilliant playwright in the English language had to compete with people who were selling themselves oranges, gambling. There are, his, there are a couple of uh, murders oh my that are recorded. Now, isn't that why also uh, the the way the Globe Theater was actually, the architecture of it was like you had the common folk in like the, the one area, and then you had like the aristocracy mm-hmm. up higher. More money, although the bulk of the audience in uh, the Globe Theater were common common people. The aristocracy had its own um, more boring kinds oh. of, of presentations. <laughs> They're called court masks. And, uh, mm. and, but uh, the idea that when a student... Um, one more example. Uh, I was at Wisconsin, and uh, I had a sabbatical, and I was walking down the street one day during you know during the day, and this this guy came up to me and he said, "Hey," he said, "You're the one who talked about the squiggly lines. I really like that." Now that's just a, a metaphor for existentialism. When you have an existentialist crisis, your world gets turned upside down, and you don't know, you know. Uh, and so you have to build a new way to look at your reality. And uh, that, that was that very satisfying moment. Hey, <laughs> the squiggly lines. I really, yeah. Sounds like Madison in the 70s. Yeah, <laughs> Madison, right, right. Or a Ziggy cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, before we get into Madison in the 70s, which we could spend an entire episode yeah, on. You know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, like, well, how is Graham's dad going to relate to movie making and films right well, now? <laughs> and uh, well, that's the beauty of it. Here's how. Because well, um, Professor Elwood is an expert in theater. Mm-hmm. We are going to be discussing the transition between plays to uh, movies, right? Yeah. Which we, which we, you know, August Osage County was the most recent um, Broadway play that has been made to a movie. And one of my complaints about it was that it was not visual enough; it was too verbal because that's you know, theater is verbal and film is is visual. So, um, I, but I, I got to ask this question real quick, um, Dad. What made you decide, as a son of a butcher in Idaho, 
to get into theater? I don't think I ever asked you that question. Actually, um, <clears throat> it was in Nebraska, in a small town in Nebraska, and I went to a school play, Hansel mm-hmm. and Gretel. And it was in one of those uh, multi-purpose rooms, whether it's a basketball court and you've got a stage over here and you've got audience over here and mm-hmm. multi-purpose room. And it was Hansel and Gretel. And that was my aha. How old were you? I was uh, six. <laughs> so you knew at age six so you wanted to be in theater. And then shortly thereafter, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. And my older brother... Um, as all older brothers do, I think, picked on me a lot. And in those days, teachers were women except for the principal. And, uh, and my brother said, No, you're not going to be that. That's, that's woman's work. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew better than to, because uh, he was a lot bigger and stronger than I, I knew better than to challenge it, but I went ahead and did it anyway. So... <clears throat> I think that theater is... Um, what did he say when you got your first teaching job? Oh, by that time I had uh, beat him at a number of things. You know, I would say... <laughs> intellectual things, not, not physical things. Uh, by that time I would... Uh, I had, uh, you know, he would start criticizing me and I would say, well, I didn't have to retake algebra, did I? So I, my my weapon was was words and, and, and my mouth and, and so on. Well, that's good to know because it makes more sense as to why I got into show business because I was raised by theater parents yeah. than it did for you as the son of a butcher in terms of... I, wouldn't it have been weird, though, if you walked into a butcher shop and went, oh, my oh, God, this is, this, this, is, is my, this is what I want to do? <laughs> I think my butcher grandfather would be appalled that I'm a vegetarian. Yes. <laughs> what? Absolutely. What a veggie burger. I <laughs> Meat major. Yeah, yeah, way to rebel yeah. against the family, Graham. Oh, God. You're going against the family business. How dare you? Um, That's very good. <laughs> well, uh, all right. So let's get into some... Dad, let me get your perspective on what are some of the best plays that have been converted. Like the, the movie was a successful adaptation of a stage play. Um. Because I don't think it's easy to do. No, I don't think no. it is e- easy either. And I'm just sorting through my list of favorite movies, and mo- most of them were either a book or uh, mm-hmm. not the reverse. Um, well, now Miss Saigon was not a play first. Well, it's not a. It's a movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They made yeah. it. No okay, film. well, it was the a stage play first. The I saw the stage play, and uh, that's one of my. That's one of the best. One, another another uh, play, I guess, uh, I have a few what I call definitive productions in my head. And one was Dustin Hoffman's uh, Willie Loman and Death of a Death Salesman. Death of a Salesman, yeah. yeah and yeah. that wasn't that a, that was a TV movie. That was a wasn't TV it? movie, yeah, yeah. but it, yeah. they did an excellent job with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I saw it on Broadway. And um, there's a, the Ibs, uh, um, Ibsen's Head of Gabbler, the play Head of Gabbler. I saw at the Long Wharf Theater, and I don't know if you know the actress, but Martha Plimpton pay, played Hedda, and it was it was breathtaking with those those moments on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think I've strayed from the from the question. Yeah. I'm not sure I can answer the question. Well, let me ask. Let's go to a specific film, and, and obviously, yeah, there's there's a bunch we well, want to talk about. The, I mean, I want to bring up Doubt for multiple reasons. Obviously, Philip Seymour Hoffman tragically passed. Tragically yeah. died from yeah. a heroin overdose, which is awful. Like addiction is awful. Um, but he made the movie Doubt, which was a John Patrick Shanley. This is the one with Meryl Streep. Yes. Yeah. Because um, I. There were some moments in doubt where I was because the, the problem they always run into is is how do you pare down the big stage monologue mm-hmm. to 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 the screen, and it had a couple of those moments, but for the most part, it was a really solid movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see that it was an adaptation of of a of a screenplay or a stage play, mm-hmm. but I, I really do. You, did you see that film? And do you remember? I did. I do remember. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. But it does bring up the idea for me that um, <clears throat> when uh, I was studying playwriting and therefore and then teaching it, one of my one of my mentors said, uh, "Write a scene without any stage directions. You cannot say, you can't put in parentheses angrily, mm-hmm. and and the reason for that is that the words have to create the feeling, the mm-hmm. sense." And of course, we all know that movies are about image, and plays are about words. And so, the, the idea of being able to do that and show—now, this is one advantage that film has over over plays—is that with really talented actors and the right directing and the right editing, I assume, you can see a person lying through his or her teeth and know even though they're saying oh no i love you right and even and knowing that they're yeah because you have the advantage of the like especially when close you see, ups, yeah. close-ups close-ups right. and, and you're on a in a state in a screen you're on a 40-foot screen so the the most subtle of facial movements mm-hmm. conveys a good actor and as you said a good director can can get that across um the uh the other thing too going back to that about playwriting about not putting angrily mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. is it's also I mean I always interpret that as also when you're writing like well give that that's up to the actor the actor needs to, to to figure that out and the actor needs to convey that those words and sort of decipher what those words mean in order to and then ultimately it's the director who kind of right. makes the final call well, the director's supposed to know what the play is all about of course and and but in fact the defense of, of learning how to do that. Now, you can't ever write a play without any stage direction. Well, although Shakespeare did. Shakespeare didn't have very many stage directions at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, Even the, with witches and cauldrons. Right. And yeah. Yeah. There, was, there weren't that many. It's true. No, and, and when he, uh, when Richard III then wants to be inaugurated, then it just says London. Yeah. And so... Uh, <laughs> The thing is that if you can if you can write now again this is playwriting if you can write sufficient words the actor and the director the director should know, has to know anyway but the actor can can understand what that means so writing in terms of context so the word I'm going to try to say this as neutrally as possible really Although there was a tone of voice there, that, but um, <clears throat> so there are many, many different ways to say really. So how do you take, how do you get really 
into uh, the script without any stage directions because mm-hmm. you could do sneering. Right. But uh, so sarcastic. Yeah, sarcastic. Um, uh, one one device is to uh, Paul. Wow, you could you could do literally right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's any any uh, interpretation. But like I remember that as an acting exercise when I was taking the acting classes, and the teacher would be like, "Say hello." Right. How many different ways Absolutely. can you say hello mm-hmm. to convey what you know? And you you would come through the door and go right. hello, and right. I'd be like, hello, and right. just you'd had one word to convey what you were truly feeling. And yeah, I said the same exercise with, uh, I would say to a student, tell me uh, I, w- I won the lottery. Mm-hmm. And then I would go, great. Great. Great! You know, there, there are many ways to do this. Now, what the playwright has to do, therefore, is build the context of, the, of what's going on. So that in playwriting, a sparse use of stage directions is always a good idea because the word is what the actor needs to provide the dimension, the dimension to it. And then a good actor and a good director will say, you know, you're not sneering or you sound petulant. And, uh, and so then when I started learning how to write screenplays, uh, the first criticism was obviously from the screenplay instructor, screenwriting instructor. Yeah, there's too many words on this page. Too many words. <laughs> too many monologues. Yeah, yeah and long. and uh, so I had to learn how to think image. Think it, it's a visual medium. Yeah, it's a visual mm-hmm. medium, and and uh, I don't know any, very many playwrights who are also skilled in cinematography. Right. Right. So it's two I'm, different skill sets. Yeah, basically. It's very, it's very different. I'm yeah. sitting there thinking about it's like it's painting and sculpting. Right. It's they are different. Yeah. Now, now I want to talk to there. There's a couple just classics, classic um, stage to film adaptations. Like let's talk about Streetcar Named Desire. Yep. I mean that's an unbelievable adaptation. Yeah. But the at the time though they couldn't even get a lot of the ugliness onto the screen because some of it was still a little bit. Um, um, oh, the, watered down, right? And but if you watch, you were the saying movie, that the, there was more ugliness in the stage version, yes, and uh-huh. because of the the whatever the most whatever it was called at the time, the Motion Picture Association wouldn't allow. It was oh. uh, there was either haze, whatever the haze code or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, um, it, it was or, or it was just a content decision. It was like, well, I don't know if people are ready to see you know this on a big screen like like that. Uh, but even but when you watch the movie, you realize that. You don't know it's missing unless you you actually know the play. And when you watch the movie, um, it's an unbelievable film, and it's one of those um, play to movie translations that really I don't even think you lose anything. I don't even think you uh, you notice that it's a play. Yeah, there's some long monologues, but Marlon Brando it makes you it, it makes you believe every single word. Yeah. I mean, and you just you don't. There's no time you're going. Oh, that person's talking too long. <laughs> they should be on a stage. And it, I think it's one of the best ones. Well, in fact, in fact, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That's another fantastic was so one. a good such a good play, but I barely knew that uh, Brick was gay, I, I, and and back then, well, Hollywood wasn't about to let Tennessee Williams real things be on stage, and so interesting big daddy was the same <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of the characters yeah. well it's interesting you're writing uh, you're talking about um cat on a hot train roof which was a and streetcar both tennessee williams plays yes uh, elia kazan directed streetcar named desire and um 
did he also and we're telling the fans right now if you've never seen streetcar named desire yeah, you have to, you, you have to you see have it to. it's it's classic uh film viewing it's classic film viewing on so many levels it's obviously right. it's classic elia kazan if you don't know any mm-hmm. of his work you should check it right, out Right, absolutely um even though he ratted out a lot of his friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did that. He did that. Um, so uh, there was, but that's part of why it's classic is it's the 50, it's 1951. So it's, and him and all these people came up through New York theater. Mm-hmm. And now they were, some of them were doing film. And it was this sort of amazing time of when this was happening in, in, uh, in stage and screen and also that was during the time of when television was starting when they started these shows like Playhouse 90 mm-hmm. yeah. which were like live wonderful and it was it's such yeah. an influential movie too and stage play of course and in fact all the way up to now you could see influences of this film in uh, Blue Jasmine right now yeah yeah it's it's amazing and then you know Eli Kazan also did East of Eden uh, you know he did he did On the Waterfront oh that movie yeah I've heard of that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple could little... have been a contender yeah. <laughs> so it was um, he got the best out of Marlon Brando that's for sure he, he, oh amazing he was amazing so um, but let me go into two now dad I know when you were at Southern Connecticut you were teaching a film class yes and what were some of the films that you touched upon and why? Because I know you would tell me uh, sometimes you would compare movies from like the 50s versus today and stuff like that. I, I, uh, I had the – at Wisconsin, I was a theater historian, and so I never could have – they would have never let me – that was another department, another whole discipline. They're not going to let me do that. <laughs> so at Southern, a smaller school, they said they didn't have enough students in their, in their uh, film communication program would I teach it and I said well I'm not a film historian but I said I can certainly give you the the classic Aristotelian narrative in a play you have to have status quo conflict mm-hmm. and so on and so on and so forth that's and everything except the experimental films today that's made is is the Aristotelian narrative form you have to first start with this and that and so on and so forth and <clears throat> I wanted to um my major pedagogical agenda has been the history of uh, certain elements, countries, uh, through through lenses. I wanted to teach them the history of through uh, the history of World War II through the lens of theater. So, uh, and and then the same for for the film. I started with um, a movie called King's Row. I don't know if you know that. And it was Claude Rains and Ronald Reagan. And it was uh, about... uh, Judith Anderson was in it. The famous Judith Anderson was in it. Mm -hmm. And it's about this small town, nice place to live, and the prejudices and the greed and the corruption. Yeah, this is 1942. It was directed by Sam Wood. Was it a noir? Uh, close, mm-hmm. uh, not not really, but it, uh, so then I wanted them to know. I said, okay, now this is going to be an easy one for you because first we have a lovely little town, mm-hmm. and then and so on and so on it goes down and goes to hell. And then I wanted them to know about. Uh, I wanted them to compare uh, Saving Private Ryan with a World War II propaganda movie. Uh, like the Guadalcanal Diary or any John Wayne Diary, where the actors uh, clutch their chests as though they're having a bad heart attack and then fall nicely and saving Private Ryan. You see limbs flying through the air. I wanted them to know the difference, and I wanted them to know 
<clears throat> excuse me, I wanted them to know why uh, I did something for race. There's a, uh, uh, well, there's a movie, Pinky, with Gene Crane, and that was a 40s movie in which she's, uh, she has black, an- black ancestry. Uh, and uh, uh, Eleanor Bear, um, Ethel Barrymore was the, was the white Southern person, and they were talking about what are you doing serving coloreds here in this, you know, for, before me. And it was a very much about racism, but very, um, very black and white, very black and white. And then there's this wonderful movie with Omar Epps and uh, Rappaport. And it's about higher learning, I think it's called. And it's about... Um, that, uh, yeah, Omar Epps. Yeah, that's... Um, higher education. That's and, John Singleton. Yeah. And, it came out in 1995. Yeah, and, and I showed them that about universities, but it's about uh, racism and and how it gets so out of control. So John Rappaport played one of those... Michael Rappaport. Michael Rappaport mm-hmm. played one of those characters from from Idaho who comes to a big university and he's too geeky and nobody wants to have it until the skinheads find him and then he mm-hmm. kills all these people. Yeah. That's sort of a precursor to Columbine High and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I wanted them to, to know how racism worked. Gregory Peck and um, Gentleman's Agreement, anti-Semitism. Mm. But I also wanted them to know, I said, I can't teach this. I did the same in playwriting. I can teach you how I write a play, to quote Edward Albee, but, he, but I, I can't teach it how to write your play. And so what I introduced myself was I was a play mechanic <laughs> or a chef. You have to have this and you have to have that. But I want to hear your stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, I didn't teach screenwriting. I just wrote screenplays, and uh, Graham still has one, which he has promised to return to me, and he has not. <laughs> I'm still, I'm sorry, I've, I've not been able to. I will look for it. I apologize. Are we well, kickstart it. Yeah, going to no, kickstart just, your dad's script. No, you just well, yeah, kickstart someone to help me come sift through everything in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> times I've had to move, so I will find it. But I, I, I think I've uh, digressed a lot. One of my major characteristics as a professor, my students said, yeah, but I like your digressions. I like to go with you. But in any case, <laughs> film and theater, the arts speak to the soul. I don't sound too much of a sermon here. Uh, medicine speaks to the body. I I used to say to my students I like Novocaine when I go to the mm-hmm. dentist, uh, but uh, we we need to speak to we need to speak to our our soul, our higher minds. Well, what because uh, you've you've very familiar with all the um, uh, the adaptations. Is there a stage play right now that hasn't got a fair adaptation that you would like to see adapted into a film? <laughs> Mine, other than yours, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just, that, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about that. Uh, I did get to see War Horse, and uh, it was a brilliant production. Uh, you saw the stage production, yeah. Uh-huh. And then, okay. I, then I saw the movie, and as often as the case, you know, there's a. Uh, 
I would like to see a really good adaptation. There wasn't, there isn't one yet. There's a play by the Swiss playwright called Friedrich Dürrenmatt, and um, it's about a woman who got chased out of town uh, because <clears throat> some guys knocked her up, and they wouldn't own up to it, and they all did, she must be a whore. She got chased out. She was extremely beautiful, and she married billionaire after billionaire after billionaire, and she comes back to this little town. And says, "What's the name of the play?" The uh, the visit. Mm-hmm. She comes back to this little town and says, "I'm going to give." And the town has fallen on terrible times. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give a million dollars to each person, and a million dollars to the town. And yeah, she says, on one condition <laughs> <laughs> that you kill the guy who seduced me and then betrayed me. And he's he's one of the kind of leading citizens. And the first act ends with, this is Europe, you can't do that. And then in the end, they do. (laughs) (laughs) They gradually, slowly but surely, uh, the guy's name was Alfred, and uh, he ran a store, and suddenly his sons have uh, Lamborghinis? And where'd you get that? Oh, So clearly what... What she was doing, the town was in terrible shape. She, we find out, caused it. <laughs> She's the one who helped kill the town. Oh, wow. Blocking trade and all that sort of thing. And, and it's, it's a modern tale? It takes place in a... Yeah, fairly modern. Uh-huh. When did this play come out? It came out in the 50s, 60s. Oh, okay. Your mother and I play the leads ah. in, that, in, in that play. <laughs> Maybe uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe that's why you guys got divorced. <laughs> she plotted to kill you She's in the play. Kill me. Kill me. <laughs> so this wasn't an actual play. This is, <laughs> this, this is an autobiography, this is what you this guys is the are saying. To <laughs> My house in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> well, but anyway, in any case, uh, it was done with um, uh, Zorba the Greek, the actor. Uh, well, say so they did make it into a film. Yeah, and uh, I think. Ingrid Bergman. Oh, okay. Uh, but they ruined the story. Oh, really? Because you see the... Yeah, it was yeah, Anthony Quinn. Anthony, Anthony Quinn. Ingrid Bergman and Anthony Quinn. Played, yeah. And it was... Uh, yeah. And it was... Uh, and another thing is that stage can do that film has to be careful doing is <clears throat> the set of the pl- for the play was a Swiss town... With that, you know, you can look at that. Oh, yeah, this must be in Germany or Switzerland. And, uh, but it, it was not a realistic set. It was this a frame of, we call that selective realism, a frame of a church. Right. Through right. which people walked, and you could see mm-hmm. them, you know. And she brought with all of these people that she had uh, castrated, these eunuchs. And, but she was worth, let's say, Four trillion dollars, right, right, and uh, so she comes into town, and and she she too. This is something that uh, uh, the actress, the famous actress couple, did a movie of it, and but the real Claire had had. Uh, she was a story of she was going to get revenge. She was in a train wreck and lost a leg. Didn't stop her. She was, and she lost a hand in some accident. Didn't stop her, but she was still a beautiful woman. And so she comes back, 
And it's like a female Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> well, not not it's a female Darth Vader. Well, not, okay, analogy. if that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the point is, the changes that words can do have their limits, but so do images have right. their limits. So you're saying like a, a, um, a modern film, take this story now with, mm -hmm. with a good director in today's right. Hollywood could really make a great version of this. Oh, I think so. Yeah, uh, that's interesting, so. The yeah. Visit. Um, I think it'd be a great movie. <laughs> it'd be a great movie. Just yeah. describing it made, mm -hmm. me, made me want to... Well, and, and you trace the dilemma that each family has. Mm -hmm. See, they don't, they don't just say, okay, you go kill her. Right. You go kill him. It's like, well, I've got a new car. And he goes to the police. Oh, we don't have, do we have any real proof? You know, and he goes to the priest, the police, and then the priest. And so you see their degeneration and deterioration. So that the way they, the director staged it uh, was that uh, the, the actors surrounded me. Mm-hmm. They all and then all started by, uh, showing up with Armani suits. So the direct, the, they all surrounded me, and she said, uh, "The character says to Il, to Aunt Alfred, I will take you to my one of my one of my estates overlooking in the Isle on the Isle of Capri." Uh -huh. And so then they kill me, and then the last scene of the play is they she's. She walks across the stage. She exits stage right, followed by this very expensive coffin. Coffin, mm -hmm. and she has what she wants. So not only so, they and there are very few films. I could be uh, corrected by film people, but very few films can really show that level of dimension mm -hmm. of. Of, I saw um, Ashton Kutcher's uh, portrayal of Steve Jobs. Yeah, and there was one good moment. He's he's a good actor, but he's but there was one good moment where he was starting out, and somebody promised him and his partner five hundred dollars, and he he said, "Here's," and, and Jobs kept the most of it. Yeah, kept, that look on the face. That is difficult to to do, I'm sure, as an actor, and uh, the, uh, the, because one of the disadvantages to, f uh, to film acting is it's like a tech rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hurry up and wait! Hurry up and wait! You just get it all cut. You know, yeah, yeah. the you're cutting it out of order. You're right. shooting it out of right. order. You play it out of order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. You got to memorize it and actually do it right yeah. all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you have to uh, do it sixty-five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now I, I'm hoping too that they they make into a movie the um, the acclaimed stage play uh, Spider Man Turn Off the Dark. I'm hoping <laughs> that becomes a movie in some form. I really like to see that on uh, screen. I'd like to see a hidden camera documentary of how that stage play was a, a debacle. Um, uh, let's. Um, what else? Do you have any other? Do you have any questions, Chris? You want? No, to we covered the ones I really wanted to talk about because uh, you know some of those classic ones you just watch and you just it's amazing. Well, well, here's what I wanted to to ask a little bit um, because I've I remember as a kid you taking me to a lot of R-rated movies that uh -huh. maybe today people will be like, oh, you can't. Bring How old were you? 
Nine, ten. That's why he turned out. You <laughs> <laughs> can see the blueprint. Yeah, I can see where it went wrong. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember you taking me to the Amityville Horror. Oh, my. And I was oh, wow. terrified at that movie. Um, I remember you took me to The Fog, uh-huh. Which was really scary. It doesn't. Uh, yeah. It doesn't really hold up now. The, no, Amity, no. the original Amityville Horror though still does because so. you don't see anything. Right. That's right. yeah. And Whereas the, the fog, you're like, oh, that's yeah. That's, that's but I just remember mm-hmm. the guys had worms yeah. on his yeah, face yeah. in the fog. Yeah, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. I remember Amityville Horror. All that like get out. I oh, remember yeah. just like I would be lying in my bed at night and just be terrified if I heard mm-hmm. something. Haunted house I'm stories. I'm surprised could be you didn't terrifying. say something to Margie, who would then say, "No, I honestly though." I kind of, I don't know, as a kid, because you were taking me to those films and it was also the 70s, which is like a kind of a golden era Mm -hmm. in cinema a little bit. um, It's sort of where my love of movies came from was going into these theaters and i just remember you took us to star wars when i was a kid oh yeah well that's yeah that's okay (laughs) now that now to be fair though um your dad didn't just take you to r-rated movies no no he didn't just just take you got to see you know the herbie the love bug sure of course okay you got to see dean thank you chris yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is just like yeah we're going to r-rated movies and then the track yeah Um, uh no, but I remember. I remember we watched a lot of. You took me to a lot of movies as a kid. I remember it was a big part of of what we did. And I remember you would say to me, "You're going to do a mini film festival." You were the first one to you coined that phrase for me, where you would see two or more movies in a day. Mm-hmm. And I remember you telling me about. I think you assumed I wouldn't have gotten it at the time because I was a kid. You're like, I'm going to go see this movie called Seven Samurai. And I'm like, what's that? You're like, oh, it's very long. It's Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And it's, they had to mm-hmm. think it back then. One guy's in a diaper for a yeah. lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was back when they would show a movie like that, they would take an intermission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember when we lived in Germany, when I was a kid, we got to see Bridge Over the River Kwai. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember watching that just mesmerized like Alec Guinness and we were it was they called the America House it was a movie theater the, in yeah there was a, uh, the America House was a diplomatic where in Berlin they uh, they wanted in west in West Berlin they wanted everybody to know how wonderful the great things about our American culture there's one called Goethe House in Boston mm-hmm. they bring the German culture to to Boston Goethe House but, they probably have a lot of parties there it's probably really yeah. easy going and fun well, I got. I, <laughs> That's my criticism of Germany. I'm sorry. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> well, Graham was the only. Uh, <clears throat> I thought it was great. I, I'm I'm fluent, and I could become fluent in, with, if I could go back for two weeks, and after that, I could become pretty fluent. You're fluent in German. Uh, mm-hmm. and you, when you say you're, when my father says he's not fluent in German, that means he can't translate a German text <laughs> or to English. That's what he means by that. Talk so, about philosophical. I can pass. I can pass as a German easily. So, do you remember, like as a kid, just hearing Schnell? <laughs> yes, yes. It was a lot like Hogan's Heroes. Is what my house is like. <laughs> You would just refer to me as Hogan. And then, Graham, and was, are you going to wash your hands, or perhaps you'd be more comfortable on the Russian front? <laughs> yeah. Time for the cool off for you, Graham. <laughs> well, I do remember Graham telling me at, at a very young age that we were talking about movies because it was a way I could relate to my children. And we did the same thing watching television programs. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a few. They got a few. Uh, 
Thursday nights was the only night. I, my ba- bedtime was 8.30, and Hawaii Five-0 was on from 8 to 9, and we could stay up past our bedtime and watch Hawaii Five-0, and our whole family would watch it together. Oh, that's great. Yes. Well, and in fact, uh, I would say things like, uh, oh, no, they, that's not the killer, because it's only 20 after. Mm-hmm. The, the the criminal gets exposed between one uh, forty five minutes to fifty oh, minutes. The structure, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, but Graham also said to me one day that he we were talking on the phone, I think, and I said, "Well, have you seen such and such a movie?" And he said, "No, it's rated G. I don't watch G." <laughs> Wow, the film snob. So, so, well, you probably got it from me. <laughs> you were the one who said to me, I was just thinking about this the other day. And we were driving some, and I was, I don't know, 11 or 12. And I was like, God, we were talking, we were just in the car driving, probably back from a movie. And I was talking about, like, I don't know why some people talk too much. And you went, People that talk too much do so because they're too stupid to think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a snob about something. You, you know, that's, I'm a grammar policeman. I, that's, too. That's, that's, that's the second time I've heard something like that. I'm actually rereading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh-huh. the Douglas Adams book, and he puts it in the line like they're analyzing humans, why they talk so much. Right. <laughs> and they're afraid the reason that the other races have figured out why humans talk so much is because when they stop talking, their brains turn on. <laughs> That's a good Facebook is really good at, at, yeah. those, at those one-liners. I really think that's great. You, you constantly correct people's grammar oh, yeah. on Facebook. I just okay, and now I have a confession to make. I'm taking a course called The History of the English Language, and it starts back in 500, BC, uh, 500 uh, AD about how this word come, you know, for example, a villain used to be a person just from a village, not a bad guy, and... Uh, the word nice used to mean silly. So he's tr- tracing it through all of these things, the evolution of language. And in the 18th century, there was a metaphor called prescriptivism. And because language changes not fast, but fairly fast. I mean, how many years has it been since we all know what LOL means when we read right. it? we didn't know what that was. And uh, so this is when at that period of time when people were concerned about keeping the language pure which makes me a prescriptivist. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, but I'm not going to stop correcting people. <laughs> anyway, I, I have clearly digressed on that one. I think... I well, think, that's a good place to be at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to correct me. Yeah. yeah, right. And don't use split and yeah. <laughs> Can't boldly go. Yeah. Um, so oh, so was, let's... Uh, uh, is there anything else we wanted to cover? We got to do. We want to do a little, uh, little business before we get out of here. Um, yeah, we think if there's any any last questions I have for my father here on on uh, episode two hundred. Um, Who's the executor? <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Christ. Nice, Chris. Throw that that is a cheap shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See why I was swearing at him before the show? What an asshole. Um, oh, no, I want to say this. I had an audition for a play. I think it was in college. And you gave me one of the best pieces of acting advice. And because it was a scene where there was a lot of tension. And mm-hmm. I was like, I think I'm angry at somebody. And you said, well, son, if you have a grenade, you pull the pin and throw it, it explodes. But if you're holding the grenade and you pull the pin... And you keep it in your hand, 
that's everyone's like, oh no, is he going to throw it? Is he going to drop mm-hmm. it? Is he going to throw it at me? Is he going to kill himself? And he goes, there's all this tension. He's going to put the pin back in. Like, what is it a dud? Is it real? And I was, I'll never forget yeah. that piece of advice. That's uh, interesting. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's good advice. <laughs> it it's, is. You know, it's the difference between being compelling and making Transformers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael Bay. Um, uh, all right, Dad, real quick. What's your favorite movie of all time? We'll put them on the spot. Oh, I think, I think my favorite movie of all time really did. is, <laughs> and it's an adaptation from a novel, is uh, um, with Antonio Kruger. Uh, it's about a man, a rich man who goes down to Venice and falls in love. And it's, oh, Death in Venice. Death in Venice? Death in Venice is my favorite movie of all time. But I'm really still quite taken with Gone with the Wind. Death in Venice. That Dirk Bogard was in it. I liked his acting a lot. Yeah, Dirk Bogard. Uh... Well, it came out in 1971, Yeah, and it's an adaptation of the Thomas Mann novel. Yeah. Gone with the Wind polarizes people. It's weird. Some people hate that movie. Really? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's too long, and nothing happens. I'm like, you know what? It's a classic epic, especially from that time period. I, I, I really liked it. I think what you have to do with movies like that is you have to put them in context. Of the time that the they time were made. Of the time that yes. they came out. If you compare mm-hmm. it to now, it's not, you can't. You know what I mean? It's like comparing a... Right. A classic car to, you know, some car of today with all of its technology. Like we were just talking about that movie Rebecca, where um, um, one of the things that uh, we were talking about is that uh, this was on a personal podcast that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, but with, a, with a fan, uh, um, is that uh, while some of the stuff really does hold up, there's a few things you're like, oh, well, that's just a product of the times, mm-hmm. you know, what what's going on there. So you kind of have to be a little forgiving of stuff like that when you're watching older films. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some business here. Absolutely. We want to also uh, thank our host, uh, our host, our host, us. Uh, <laughs> nice job, Chris. Our, uh, yeah, our uh, sponsor, Squarespace. Now, we're going to actually be doing a whole campaign with them over the next um, two months, and it'll be really cool. We'll be giving away stuff in the um, the gift packs. We'll be doing some contests, and we'll also be giving away some uh, to a lucky filmmaker a year of Squarespace. The yeah, services man. we want to yeah but but the main thing is you guys you get 10 percent off it's really cool all you got to do is type in cfn and the thing about squarespace is that you need a website it's just easy it's um it's something like eight dollars a month and it's mm-hmm. easy there's 24 7 support and they're adding um uh people every like every day they said they're hiring people like all the time they can't hire fast enough is yeah what they're saying because it's like i converted there's Grand over 100 Island. right now just on the uh, oh, care yeah. team I, I converted grandmelwood.com to Squarespace. Um, it's very easy to use. It's great. And we're gonna and their t shirts are extremely comfortable. They are. They are. <laughs> it's like it's like wearing a cloud. It is. It is. <laughs> a digital cloud. Yeah. What? So yeah, we're gonna start we're gonna get a lot of swag from them and start putting that in any of in the orders and all that stuff. So And we're also gonna be uh, one of the things I'll do a little um, a little teaser here. We're gonna be profiling filmmakers that have squarespace uh websites Uh so if you're a filmmaker that has a squarespace website um drop us in a url to info at comedyfilmnerds.com and give you a little uh, shout out we'll give you a little shout out and we'll talk about your movie we'll talk about your film Mm -hmm. and and you know it's going to be the squarespace uh movie website corner film 
All right, we'll work on the title. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, because as it's, as we like to tell you guys about uh, cool indie films, um, that's one of the ways we're going to do it. Um, and uh, also Squarespace, uh, you know, they sponsored the festival last year. And this year, they'll be they're on gonna, board this they're year. They're going to do the 2014 festival. And they... Um, are very much invested in podcasting and the earbuds of podcasting documentary that mm-hmm. we're, we're raising Kickstarting. on mm-hmm. Kickstarter. In fact, they offered, they helped us out with some tiers too. Right. What's one of the tiers? They, um, it's, we actually added their services to tiers. There's two specific tiers. I don't remember the exact amount, but they're higher. And one of them is a, a year free for Square, a Squarespace website. The other one is two years free, but they're up on the higher tiers, the producer tiers. Yeah. Which is like, you know, that's one of the things they're doing is they really want um, they want to see podcasting go forward. You know they they believe in the medium and that's important. They absolutely believe in the medium and that's like um, uh, where is it here? Where do you see it? It's uh, I think it's uh, was it seven fifty? Yeah. So anyway, it's it's one of the higher tiers and we um, um, we added uh, Squarespace about a year and then two years free as well to the higher ones. Yeah. And they go to the Kickstarter page, type in earbuds and and look it up or just go to comedyfilmers.com and click on the Kickstarter banner ad. Um, and you can see how Squarespace and other folks are helping out. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's kind of getting behind this documentary. We really need your help with this. As you know, we're still, uh, we still have a long way to go. February 24th Um, is the final day. Yeah. And we, I know a lot of people wait to the last minute here. Um, can we ask you don't, (laughs) <laughs> could you uh could you maybe go now <laughs> and take care of it yeah. before you're like oh i didn't know it ended. i just missed it like, we've been promoting this thing so hard we yesterday i was on i did five interviews you did i did two you did two yeah. and i would have done three except for the scheduling the scheduling mm-hmm. was crazy um i was on preston and steve i call mm-hmm. them there in in philly um we were both on the zane podcast yeah zane lamprey's podcast which, which is, is it's fantastic it's a lot of fun i did a hockey podcast called mm-hmm. puck off yeah um <laughs> Which did, was great. I did Long Shot. You did Long yeah, Shot uh-huh. with Sean Conroy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was also on April Macy and Shane Moss's um, Double Date podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. and uh, Which was a blast. Mm-hmm. And then I did um, uh, Probably Science with Andy Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun with Matt and Jesse on that show, too. So uh, those are all rolling out. I'm going to be on the Todd Glass show. Yeah, there's a lot coming up. And then we'll both be on uh, Will Anderson's Will podcast Anderson's coming podcast, up. Will Anderson's podcast, So you can hear us um, pitch You, you were just on Man Show. I was there just was on a, the Man Show. And then we also did Eddie Ift. We did Eddie Ift's podcast. So we are making the rounds. We are making the rounds. At the very least, we're going to hear get talked to a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be spending a lot of money in gas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yesterday, I was like... I had to go down to Sideshow Network twice, which is down by the airport, which is not that far from me. And then up to the Valley yeah. at rush hour. That's mm-hmm. convenient. You were actually yeah. coming into the Valley while I was leaving was the insane. Valley. It was insane. <laughs> and one of the interviews, I was supposed to be in the Valley, but went to the wrong place. Yeah. So that was... Which, which actually worked out because you stayed in the studio yeah. and were on a couple other uh, I got on Puck podcasts. Off. Yeah. Which is a great <laughs> title for a, for a podcast. Yeah. Um, which right. actually about uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I talk yeah, yeah. about is Midsummer Night's Dream. The whole just dissecting puck every episode. If somebody were to do that, there would be some Shakespeare nerds out there yeah, that would yeah. listen to that every week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
maybe dad you would listen to that um i want to also thank everybody i forgot to do this topic show came out to see me at the comedy cafe in milwaukee oh yeah yeah that was super fun um i always love doing shows there and um what else that's it. We want to uh, thank uh, our wonderful guest, Professor Elwood. We want to thank you for making the trip out, the flight, to be on this special 200th episode. You're welcome. My um, pleasure. And thanks for making Graham. <laughs> well, I, I did my part. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dad, who's your favorite uh, child? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> he was lost in a storm. I never told you. That. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they told me I was adopted. My, I'm oh, yeah. youngest of four. Yeah. I have an older brother and two older sisters. They told me when I was a kid that I was adopted from a Chinese family. Yeah. <laughs> and I came to my dad. That's was, classic sibling. Yeah, this yeah, classic yeah, sibling yeah, stuff. Yeah. And you, your reaction to it was, you were like, what? Yeah. Because you had a different view of adoption or something like that? Well, I, uh, without getting too melodramatic, I had parents that wouldn't have adopted they had to deal with the ones they had. Yeah. And the, so uh, adopting would would have been so foreign to my parents' life that I couldn't relate, and I didn't understand anyway. Yeah, I was like, damn, I adopted? He's like, what? Your <laughs> 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 parents, you know, in the, who grew up in the Depression, who were like, we're not adopting another kid. Right. We're going to sell no. one into labor. Now, like, yeah. <laughs> now, like, I, I can see your dad reacting with, like, no, the, it was not a Chinese family. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wish I'd been faster. Yeah. Yeah. One time, though, he took my brother and I, we went bowling. And I'll never forget this. This is when it's still in Madison before we moved to Chicago. And we were in this parking lot when you had this Vega, oh. this this really Chevy Vega, Chevy Vega, which is the mm-hmm. dumbest car. It was, a, it was this old rusty. Like a duster. Of it was worse. Yeah. The only car that was worse was the one you bought. The only car that was worse was, was when I bought the Yugo. The Yugo, right. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. The three cylinder Yugoslavian right. octane. That they started giving away free when you bought a real car. Right. After that. <laughs> I think you had to, I think they were paying you to yeah. turn it off the lot. But no, we were in the parking lot. This was a big empty parking lot. We just got done bowling. And my dad just gets in the car and just goes, uh, and acts like he's having like a breakdown or a stroke and he just starts driving in a circle in a circle yeah. and i'm in the front seat i'm laughing i'm like ha 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 my brother's in the back seat can't see that it's a joke and flips out didn't and think like, it was very funny yeah he was like that's not funny at all he thought his dad was having a heart attack so that's where i get my sense of humor yeah. it's uh mean dark it's dark i like scaring children um so that's my dark fair sense. enough fair um, enough yeah um all right Anything else? Well, this was a great episode. This was a great episode. Yeah. Very uh, informative. Enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure you can... Uh, if you so Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and uh, Streetcar Named Desire. If you haven't seen those, see these those immediately. And The Visit. And The Visit. We heard about. Well, and the first two, if you haven't seen them, you're ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That, guys, that's where you know where I got my pension to insult you for not liking <laughs> correct films. I got it from my dad. And um, an unabashed judgment. And a, yeah. just blanket. You're dumb. Yeah. yeah. You don't like, you're stupid. Um, <laughs> and if you disagree, you're even dumber. Yeah, you're right. Dumber. <laughs> so you're just verbalizing your own stupidity. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, you can. I'm sure you can see my dad on Facebook. <laughs> and, and he's on Twitter, right? No. You're not, you're not oh, I forgot the password for Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but yeah. we <laughs> are. That's great. Um, so, uh, all right, that's our episode. Uh, of course, um, you know, go to comedyfilmers.com. Get all the tour dates. Uh, 
Yes. Um, and of course, help us out with the Kickstarter. We mm-hmm. really need to make this happen. Make it happen uh, and spread the word on it. You know, you can share the Kickstarter thing pretty easily. Yes, through their website. share, embed, Facebook, whatever. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Squarespace um, promo code CFN. So thank you once again to my dad. Um, my name is Graham Elwood. I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember... Han, Han shot, shot first. first. Dad, how would you say Han shot first in German? Der Hans hat zuerst geschlagen. <laughs> See, the Germans always make it better. Yeah. Right. <laughs>